we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law. Brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Hello and welcome to Done By Law on 3CR. We want to acknowledge that this recording and broadcasting is taking place on the stolen land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present and want to particularly acknowledge the pain, hurt and frustration that must arise with the oncoming um, Invasion Day uh, weekend that's coming up. Um, you are with Gemma Caffarella, Greg Buckhorn and Sam Elkin today. Uh, we're very glad to be back on air in the new year after a nice break uh, over the holidays. Today, what we want to do is start by orienting ourselves legally for the year. Uh, Sam hasn't been working as a lawyer for the last little while and has a whole bunch of questions about what's happened because 2020 was a year in which we were variously paying attention and not due to everything that was going on. Um, and at the same time, there's been a whole bunch of legal changes um, come into effect and some of them temporary, some of them um, permanent. So we're going to have a bit of a chat. Sam's going to ask us some questions and, and Greg and I are going to um, try and give some answers. Now we should start with a disclaimer. This is not legal advice. If you have a specific question that requires legal advice you should get some legal advice you can find your nearest community legal center at fclc.org.au all right sam so what are your questions yeah well Gemma, i um have been doing an arts job for a little while and i've also got a few changes coming up in the new year in terms of my accommodation and holiday plans so I have been pondering the law and I've just been simply too burnt out to look it up. <laughs> so I'm hoping that you and Greg can help me. Um, the first of which is I'm moving house to a rental next month. And I was just wondering, what's the go with the COVID rent reductions? Can I ask for a COVID rent reduction anymore if I lose my job? Okay, good question. So the starting point is, Sam, that a whole bunch of the rules relating to renting changed last year in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And one of the key changes that's relevant to what you're asking about is that you can't actually be evicted from a rental at the moment for not paying your rent. Um, there's a general moratorium on evictions unless there's very um, specific situations in place. So for example, there's a rule that says that your landlord can't evict you for unpaid rent, but they could try to evict you if you um, have the money to pay the rent but haven't paid the rent. So that's, I think, a relevant starting point. The second thing, um, which is more on point to what you actually asked about, is the rent reduction scheme. So these rules that have come into play were temporary, but they do last until the 28th of March this year. Um, so, you know, it, 
you could at the moment ask for a rent reduction. There's a whole scheme. It's set up by Consumer Affairs Victoria and you can have a look on their website if you want to um, learn more about the scheme. So you could at the moment ask for a rent reduction through that um, through that scheme. The process is that you should first approach your landlord and ask them um, whether or not they would agree to reducing the rent. But if you can't reach an agreement with your landlord, then the scheme is the next option. So I should say there's some really fantastic information on the website of, and we should give them a plug, one of our favourite community legal centres, Tenants Victoria, um, and they've put out a guide, a, a really easy to use website for renting during COVID that um, I look at frequently. And I know a lot of tenancy lawyers um, look at, but it is actually aimed at the general public and it's really accessible. So I'd encourage you to, to Google Tenants Victoria um, renting during COVID and, and that'll pop up and give you heaps more information. Well, the other thing is uh, a friend of mine asked me to go on holiday to the NT um, to do the Lara Pinter trail where you walk up the famous West MacDonald Ranges and get to go in water holes such as Ellery Big Hole and other amusingly named holes. Um, and I'm really keen to go, but I remember on New Year's there were these like 20-somethings that went on holiday without reception and they got locked out and couldn't come back to Victoria. So if I go for a big walk on the Larrapins Trail in May, is there a realistic prospect that I might get locked out of Victoria? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. I think if we look back on 2020, um, you know, what we've all learned is that the rules are constantly changing. Um, I mean, I think we were sort of learning how to respond to COVID in 2020, but we still haven't really settled on what the rules look like. Um, and I think, as you mentioned, you know, New Year's Eve period was, is, a, is a great example of how rules can change um, suddenly and without um, much notice. And in terms of trying to avoid those rules, sometimes the windows are, are really small. Um, and, you know, if we use the example of New Year's Eve again, that was only, I think, 24 to 48 hours to return to Victoria. So I guess, yeah, there's two things really to consider um, if you wanted to go um, to the Lara Pinta track. And I think um, that's a great idea. Um, if you like walking, like that is. Walk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but the two things really to consider is firstly, um, are, you, are you going to be able to leave Victoria? And then secondly, what's it going to be like trying to get back in? Um, now, just using NT as an example, if you wanted to go to the Northern Territory, it all depends on whether you're coming from a declared COVID-19 hotspot. Um, so that's something that the NT government will decide. And if you do come from a, a hotspot, then you'll need to um, go into quarantine for at least 14 days. So it's something that you'll need to check um, with, uh, in this case, the NT, but every other state and territory will have their own rules. So if you were going to travel into state, then you should check those before you go so you don't get caught out. Um, then the next thing you'd need to consider is if you if you do survive the trail, uh, are you going to be able to get back to Victoria? Now, at the moment, Victoria has a traffic light system. Um, and what that basically means is that the Victorian government has designated parts of Australia as either green zones, yellow zones or red zones. And, and what do those zones mean? Well, if you come from a green zone, basically it means you can return to Victoria 
without having to go into quarantine or isolation. If you come from a, a, a yellow zone, and at the moment that's most of New South Wales and I understand Brisbane as well, um, then you, you need to get a permit. And once you return to Victoria, you need to get tested um, within 72 hours. And then whilst you're waiting for your results, you need to isolate at home. And then, of course, if it, if it comes back positive, you've got to go through your 14-day quarantine period like everybody else. Um, but that, that's uh, a way to get back to um, Victoria. Uh, unlike red zones, unfortunately, where if you uh, are stuck in a red zone, it means that uh, until that area is no longer a red zone, you can't return to Victoria um, unless you have an exception or, or there's an exemption that applies. Um, and uh, the other option is you leave the red zone um, and say go to a, a, a yellow or a green zone, but you still need to wait 14 days before you could apply for a permit to return to um, Victoria. So unfortunately for people who were in Sydney um, and previously in parts of uh, Brisbane, um, there was an indefinite wait for them about when they could return. Um, and, you know, that it, it's simply just a an unfair system, if you ask me, um, because uh, without, uh, with little warning, um, these people have to just uh, work out uh, where they're going to live, how they're going to survive, what they're going to do with their work. They may have caring responsibilities back in Victoria that they need to deal with. So there's all that stress that comes with that, which um, they simply can't plan for. And given the indefinite nature of a designation, um, that they simply couldn't uh, put things into place in future. So it's uh, at the moment, uh, it's something that you'd need to be mindful of. If you do leave Victoria, you could be stuck in this really precarious position. Um, and unfortunately, it seems that returning from overseas is easier than returning from a part of Australia. So yeah, those are two things you'd need to bear in mind. Greg, I feel a bit um, awkward about correcting you, but there is actually a third option that you haven't canvassed that I feel like we should canvass. Oh, yeah? Um, which is actually that the other option is to get really, really good at tennis and then try and get <laughs> a wild card entry to the Australian Open. In so, Sam, just keep that in mind I too. have played one round of doubles before. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that's enough to qualify. After doing a 20 day hike, I'll probably be match fit. I reckon. Yeah, you'll be fit as. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, given that you lost me at red zone, I'm definitely not leaving Victoria, basically <laughs> ever. Maybe I'll check out Lakes Entrance. <laughs> yeah, I hear it's beautiful this time of year and in May. <laughs> All right, good to know. What's the next one? Um, yeah, so in addition to uh, being burnt out, I'm also quite forgetful at the moment. Whether the two are linked, I don't know. But sometimes I forget my mask and I just want to, like, put it on record here. I'm not an anti-masker. I'm pro-masks. I've got, like, 15 of them all over the house in various states of cleanliness. But what I want to know is if I ended up somewhere where I was meant to wear a mask, say inside McDonald's or whatever, and some cops walk up next to me to get their Big Macs and they see me without a mask, 
are they going to find me at this point? Like, I know they were finding people left, right and centre last year. Are they still finding people now? All right. So there's a few things in this. The first is, I think it's relevant for us to talk about when you have to wear a mask. So the general rule is now that you, the starting point is that you don't need to wear masks inside unless it's a specific situation where you do have to wear them. So that includes on public transport, in ride shares or taxis, uh, in supermarkets and in large retail stores uh, and shopping stores and the like. There's, there's a list of them on the COVID Vic website if people want to check it out. Um, so that's the starting point. In terms of, though, this situation where you've completely forgotten your mask and the police walk up next to you well yes one thing to keep in mind is that you do have to always carry a face mask on you when you leave home unless you've got a lawful reason not to so technically um, by standing in mcdonald's even if you're not required to wear it in mcdonald's but by not having one in your pocket or your bag or whatever um, then yes you are breaching the rules there is though this question about what's going on with the fines because initially, as we know, Victoria Police were fining people willy-nilly um, and what we know is that those fines were, and we should say this, um, generally targeted um, towards communities um, that had higher levels of, with people of colour um, and also lower socioeconomic areas. Um, surprise, surprise. Uh, so they were initially fining everyone. Then a couple of days ago, there was an announcement that most of those fines would be converted into warnings. Um, and then again, yesterday, that seems to have been reversed. So that um, after some intervention by the police union, I believe, um, so that those fines will actually in the most part be upheld. Now, obviously, that's troubling, I think, from a from a human rights perspective, because fines um, much have a much um, harsher impact on people who are poor. If you find someone, you know, $500 who's really rich, that's almost nothing. If you find someone who's on Newstart, 500 bucks, um, then that's a whole different ball game. So, um, yeah, I mean, it sort of, it remains to be seen the rate at which the police continue to find people in relation to masks and the like, but certainly the indications that have now um, come out from the police, and we know that this is, um, that, you know, had some input from the police union is that they want to keep enforcing fines. Um, and so I can only assume that they, that means that they intend to continue giving out fines. So don't push in front of the police without a mask in the McDonald's line. No, don't. You could get fined. Yeah, don't get yourself <laughs> um, caught up. All right. Another thing I wanted to know was... Um, I'm thinking about going to a protest as I do every year on Invasion Day. Is that still allowed or following on from what happened with the Black Lives Matters protests and, you know, all the debate about that? Like a protest ban now? Can I go? What's the deal with that? Yeah, so this is another one that's a bit dicey. Um, so, I mean, the starting point is that there are these public health directions that are in place that are made by the chief health officer. And at the moment, they prohibit um, gatherings, public gatherings that um, are more than 99 people. So the starting point is you can leave your house at the moment for whatever reason you want, but you can't arrange to meet 
organize or intentionally attend a gathering of more than 99 other persons. That's that they're the words mm. of the thing. So there is a question about whether if you're going to a rally, are you intending to meet these other a hundred or more people or are you going together with a few of your friends mm. um, in the knowledge? Really, I don't talk to 99 people at a rally. Yeah. in the <laughs> And, and it is interesting, right? Because there's this um, note under the, under the direction that says that this, this rule doesn't prevent people from attending a public place. And the example they give is of course, a shopping center oh. um, for a purpose. And they give the example of shopping right. where other people are also likely to be attending that public place for a similar purpose. So I can race into big W for the, for the sales with a hundred other people. Yeah. So the whole rally could move into the, to the shopping center to go shopping and that would be fine. Um, but there is a question of whether or not when you're gathering in this public place, um, you're gathering for a public purpose. So mm. all of you are there for the same public purpose. There is a question about that because I think there is a kind of, you can draw an analogy to a shopping centre. You're all there to go shopping, but you're there in small groups. Um, and we should say that if you're there with us, if you're going with a small group, you need to be careful to public, to socially distance from other groups um, that means that you're less likely to be in breach of the rules. But, you know, it is a real question. I know that the state government have called on people um, to not attend um, and they've and there has been a, a ticketed dawn service that is approved and approved as COVID safe. But, you know, that's only 250 people. And what we've seen in the last few years is tens of thousands of people um, wanting to gather to um, mark their um, dissatisfaction with, um, the notion of Australia Day um, and so yeah I think it's a really interesting legal question I think it's a grey area um, you know but I would encourage people that if they are going to attend um, that they have a look at the rules themselves but also that they make sure that if they're there with a small group of people that they distance from the others but yeah it, it's sort of a grey area about whether or not it is actually legal to go at all or make sure 10,000 people go there was there was there's been some interesting uh news though i think from um melbourne city council um because they've suggested that they might start fining people um for disturbing the peace um if they do go to protests um whether that's in relation to invasion day or any other kind of protest um do you do you think that that's a, a gray area as well Gemma? yeah i mean the administrative lawyer in me is fascinated by this notion because, you know, the city of Melbourne have sort of pulled out this old and not frequently used bylaw about disrupting the peace. And they say that anyone who's, you know, at a protest, um, you know, using an amplification device or, or whatever, then they can be fined for disturbing the peace. And um, it seems like it's intended to break up protests in the, in the CBD. So out the front of the park, prison slash hotel that's currently holding um, the refugees who are um, incarcerated there. Um, that's, you know, sort of where it's been rolled out. And, and, you know, there's also questions about the invasion day protests. Um, but, you know, the, the city of Melbourne are actually bound by the Victorian Charter of Rights and the Charter of Rights protects our rights as Victorians to peacefully assemble. assemble. So I think there's a really interesting legal question about whether the Melbourne City Council are lawfully 
um, allowed to use these rules to prevent uh, protest in the city of Melbourne. Um, and I think it's going to be, um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out legally. Yeah, I mean, that sounds really scary. Like if they're digging up all these old laws that they don't implement to crack down on protests, like that's really alarming. Yeah. Like there's always people in the Burke Street Mall with a, with a megaphone doing this and that. And that's just part of the, you know, the fun of being in a city with, with a multiplicity of views. Yeah, well, you know, and we should say there's a lot of precedent for this. I mean, I think it's once a year there's a big crackdown on beggars in the city where they go around and use this, you know, like medieval law about begging arms. No one even know what that knows what that what is. is that? Um, and, you know, that's the offence, begging arms, ALMS. And, um, you know, that's used to crack down on people who are poor and begging. So, you know, there's a precedent for this. We shouldn't be too shocked, but I think that, we should also be vigilant when it comes to our rights to protest. And I think that, you know, we need to watch this space in terms of what actually happens with it. All right. Well, I'm going to try and keep protesting then. Um, sounds <laughs> rather important at the moment. Um, I wanted to know, I've had a conversation with a few friends that are, you know, trying to do the old tree change, given that we can't, go back into the office at the moment and people are like why do I even live in the city it's really expensive so I've had a few people who I know who are talking about trying to get a home loan and I was wondering what is the go with the Banking Royal Commission I remember that happened and it was a big deal and like all the banks turned out to be really bad there were there were meant to be like new rules about lending and stuff that might make it harder to get a loan has anything changed in that space and, you know, will anything change or will it be as easy as before to get a loan? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's I guess on one, one level it's unsurprising and then on another level it's quite disappointing that we um, went through the, this Banking Royal Commission over how many years it took um, uh, that process exposed uh, all of these, um, you know, questionable um, and probably unlawful practices engaged in by um, banks and um, financial service providers. Um, and that resulted in 76 recommendations um, as part of the uh, Kenneth Haynes uh, recommendations. Um, and then as of, as of today, um, unfortunately, um, 44 of those recommendations are yet to be implemented and the government has indicated that five of those um, recommendations have been abandoned altogether. Um, and, and, you know, this comes on the back of the government um, basically assuring the public that um, they would take this um, Royal Commission seriously um, and that they would, uh, as far as I'm aware, implement as many um, uh, recommendations as possible. Um, I think what's quite concerning and probably for your friend if they're thinking about a, a tree change um, is that uh, one of the, uh, the recommendations that is being abandoned is the removal of protections for responsible lending laws. Um, now that, that uh, those, those laws are contained under the National Consumer Credit Protection Act of 2009. Um, and basically what it requires is um, a bank or a financial institution um, that's assessing a loan application to make reasonable inquiries about 
the applicants, um, you know, for example, their financial situation. So if they're going to be, you know, getting a million dollar mortgage or whatever it is, are they going to be able to repay that? Or are they going to end up with this huge debt that they're never going to be able to pay off? And who benefits from that is the bank because they get their commissions and any other fees that come with it. Um, and then, you know, the poor chap who's got this uh, debt that they were never, ever going to be able to pay um, is, uh, you know, they'll lose their house and everything else that comes with that. So um, it's a bit disconcerting that um, that seems to be a huge protection for consumers, um, yet uh, the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, has said that that's one of the changes um, that he is seeking to make. And it's not simply a question of watering it down. It's a question of removing the protection altogether. The Consumer Action Law Centre um, has come out quite strongly to um, oppose these sorts of changes. Um, and uh, Financial Counselling Australia has also said um, that these weaker lending standards means that people are going to get loaded up with as much debt as possible. I mean, this, I think, was one of the main protections that had been in, in place back when it was first introduced. Um, is really di uh, disappointing, I think is probably a, a euphemism um, to say that this government, having gone through the Banking Royal Commission, heard everything that's come out of it, to now turn around and weaken consumer protection laws. Um, I, I think really it's just opening the door to return to the good old days where the banks could basically do um, whatever they liked with impunity. That's astounding to me because, I mean, I guess as someone who doesn't own a property, it sounds kind of good, right? It makes it sound like, well, that's, I mean, it's going to make it easier for me to get a mortgage if I want to do that. But I think you really pointed out the key there, which is that the bank's letting me loan money that I can actually never repay doesn't ultimately benefit me. But in the meantime, they're going to make a whole bunch of money off me being willing to pay hand you know like handfuls of cash to them to try and maintain this asset that i can't maintain mm. that sounds out anyway i shouldn't be shocked but uh, <laughs> it's outrageous it almost seems like there is no point of having the banking world commission I, I mean i think that's probably one of the strongest recommendations was to keep those um protections in place um and for the government now um, under the guise of removing red tape and trying to stimulate the economy to now say, let's get rid of it. I, I think, you know, well, what was the point? Um, yeah, well, that's the question I have. Whenever the neoliberals start talking about red tape, <laughs> all of us who don't have, um, you know, huge investment accounts should be worried. Mm. All right. Well, kind of related. Um some people I know aren't looking for property at all. They're really, really struggling financially and are seriously in debt. If they're at the point where they can't pay their debts, can they be forced to go bankrupt at the moment? Well, um, I guess really to answer this question quickly, I'm just conscious of our, uh, how much time we've got left, um, the, the, there were temporary um, changes to bankruptcy laws. Um, they were introduced in March of last year, and those changes have now expired as of the 1st of Jan. Um, in effect, though, that there, there are still some um, changes that have been made. So um, the, the minimum amount of debt that you need to have to trigger bankruptcy is 
$10,000 and that's down from 20. Um, and the, the time periods um, have changed. So previously, um, the debt thresholds and the timeframes um, had been um, increased um, to take account of the, the financial difficulties that a lot of people were experiencing, um, I guess, during the, the throes of the worst parts of the pandemic. But those changes have, uh, I guess, now reverted um, in a large part back to what they were before. So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, we're still not through the worst of this pandemic or through the pandemic um, completely, yet we're sort of returning to, um, I guess, in inverted commas, what was normal. Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess bankruptcy laws still apply. Yeah, All right. Well, thank you for answering my questions. Um, I've decided I'm not going to go to the NT. I'm trying <laughs> to get a job and keep a job and not go bankrupt. Great. They're all, all sensible ideas. All right. You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR. We're very grateful to have had you with us. We leave you now for Voice of West Papua. <laughs>